little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Uh, pleased to be joined by from the Canadian Prairie by my co-host Sean Mullen and also from Tacoma, Washington, by the longtime voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, Tom Boyning. Uh, how's how's life been treating you lately, Tom? Well, I can't complain. Uh, things have been going well, uh, particularly on the ice for the, the Thunderbirds. So when things are going well, I won't complain because no one will listen. <laughs> well, and, and there couldn't be a better time, probably, for the team to be as strong as they are. You know, the, the first two years of the NHL franchise being in town, people excited about hockey, but you don't want to be overshadowed. So what a time to have a run to the final, and now a team that you hope, I imagine, can compete for the championship again. Do you think that's, that's helped keep uh, the fan base excited and maybe attract some new eyes to the Thunderbirds as well? Well, I don't think it, it's hurt, but, you know, coming out of essentially two years of, of COVID where, you know, there's very little... Uh, mention uh, obviously the 24 game season you're not playing in front of fans and then the, the shutdown the previous there you're kind of off the radar um, locally because uh, obviously there's nothing to report on and so to come out of that and then when you come out of it hey it's the uh, expansion season uh, the first year of the crack and it's probably not a bad thing to go all the way to the championship series because I do know that when uh, the crack and season in last spring and Seattle's uh, season continued into uh, June, which was uh, because of the late start they'd had with uh, the season that they got a little more attention they probably would have um, because the Kraken were done and Seattle, the Tebers were still playing. You, I mean, we this is a you know thing we talked about for for years about you know how the Kraken was going to impact. You know the Thunderbirds and, and Silvertips, and you know I think most of us were pretty pretty optimistic about you know the rising tide lifting all boats. There, I mean, kind of what's been your you, you you've already touched on a little bit, but kind of what's been your your overall sense of of the impact, you know, good, bad, otherwise that the NHL market has has had on uh, on the two junior teams up there, specifically yours, I suppose. Yeah, I I don't know that it's impacted any way in a negative fashion. I think the if there was any issue, it was coming out of, again, COVID and, and having to reestablish yourself after almost two years out of, you know, the media spotlight here. I mean, the fans were still waiting for the seasons to get underway, but I think that was the bigger issue is trying to, you know, kind of rebirth the interest after that layoff. And I think maybe having to crack and have an expansion year when you're coming out of that 
COVID situation probably helps. Now, the Kraken having the season they're having now this season, uh, the media locally is going to give, obviously, them more attention than they're going to give the T-Birds, but we're still getting some focus because, you know, when you get ranked number one or one, two, three, or four in the top ten of the CHL poll when you're in first place in the U.S. division or the Western Conference, there's gonna, you're going to get a little attention off of that. But, you know, I don't think the Kraken in any way have, have hurt Seattle as far as attendance, I think, again, I think most teams in the Western Hockey League, I think it's probably true in Portland, it's true in Everett, it's probably even true north of the border in places like Swift Current, where just because you weren't playing games or mini games and you weren't before fans, you really have to then reestablish yourself. Yeah, it's a bit of a routine thing, isn't it? I mean, you get used to, as a fan, you know, making this a part of your, your schedule, a part of your life, and then you have a couple of years where you get used to not doing it. And routine is very powerful. So I I think one of the underrated factors that teams have had to deal with since the end of the COVID. Well, not the end, but more normalcy anyway. Well, the old saying, out of sight, out of mind, uh, you know, again, if you're not there to pay attention to, they don't pay attention to you. And what routines or habits did people get comfortable with then during COVID that, uh, you know, they're still doing now. You know, and that being said, I mean, I've got the the schedule up in front of me. It looks like Thunderbirds are, are drawn really well. I mean, looks like you know over four thousand pretty much every game over the last you know ten home games or, or or so. I mean, is what's the? I know that's a that that that's a well known hostile environment. Maybe maybe the the most hostile environment in the league. I mean, what's the What's the atmosphere been like in the in, in the building? Well, the one thing is that Seattle's traditionally always backloaded uh, their schedule as far as home games, and they played, I think, the fewest home games uh, going into middle of January. It's going to start picking up here now, and they backload it with games against Portland and against Everett, and that's that certainly helps the attendance. Um, they don't you know, play a lot of those teams from the East the second half of the season. They usually play those in the first half of the season. So they'll get the bigger crowds because their their weekend games, their Saturday games, their Friday night games are going to be against either Portland or Everett with, you know, the odd, you know, maybe Spokane or Tri-City game thrown in there. But they're going to backload the second half of the season and those prime nights are going to be against those those two big rivals, the geographical rivals up and down I-5. So that really helps the attendance and you know even with the tv game uh, in fact we had two tv games because the friday game from spokane was televised locally and maybe that kind of primed the pump a bit and then you know even with the tv game against portland we had over five thousand in the uh, in the building for that game saturday night so they do a good job of scheduling the second half of the season once you get through that football uh portion of you know college nfl high school it's a you know pretty big football area here region around seattle you know and the seahawks had a ter- terrific season so kind of get that out of the way and then kind of share the limelight i guess with the the crack in here the second half of the season well as a 49ers fan i was glad we were able to help you out by ending the seahawks season early so we could keep the focus on the thunderbirds as much as possible and as an eagles fan i say oh cool. <laughs> <laughs> i walked into that one <laughs> We're in whoever's playing the Niners. We're fans of that team around here, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was a tough one yesterday, but still. 
You're you, e Eagles supporter there, Tom? Is that, did I hear that right? Uh, I'm the supporter of whoever is playing the Niners. Uh, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. All right. <clears throat> kind of, uh, caught me off guard. You know, you on off on a kind of on an off uh, shoot here that you know when I was growing up before there were Seahawks here, we always got the Niner games on TV. So I actually used to uh, root for the Niners. Oh, well, as a kid you had taste, is what you're saying. <laughs> Not taste, I was force fed. <laughs> uh, Tom, you you mentioned and Chad's mentioned the schedule and the six games left with Portland. We look at the standings. We look at the potential playoff matchups. We look at the strongest teams in the conference. No one wants to overlook anybody. But, but when you see the potential matchups and the potential um, paths to the conference final, how important is it to win those battles and to secure first place in what has been a very tight battle between the two teams for top spot in the division? Well, I don't think it'd be any surprise that if you talk to the Thunderbirds... Uh, staff or you talk to the Portland staff they want to finish first because if you get out of round one you don't want to have to and then in round two have to face you know a tough opponent like a Kamloops in that second round so getting you know the first seed and you know getting to play the eighth or seventh seed depending on how Kamloops finishes uh, a little more desirable although I think the top four teams in the west because I think Tri-City is really coming on here in the second half of the season, very explosive team. I think it's going to be a good top four battle between Portland, Kamloops, Seattle, and the Americans. Well, and, and, and what's interesting too, you know, the, the, the way that the season ends with, you know, they're a home at home with Portland, another home at home with Kamloops, and then a final home at home against Portland. I mean, that's you know six games against you know the other, the other two you know big 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 dogs on the block, so to speak, in the West. I mean, that's uh, I mean that's that's going to be a, t a tough tough stretch for the Thunderbirds to end the season there. Well, you know, if if that doesn't prepare you for the playoffs, I don't know what will. But you know, as they say, you got to beat the best to, to be the best. So. It's not the ideal way to finish the season. Um, I mean, if you had your druthers, obviously, you had a, you know five years ago. Well, let's see who's going to be maybe the weakest team in the e in the, in the West uh, this season, and, and you know play more games against them. But I think it's it's an attendance-driven league, and if you're going to backload your schedule for the second half, uh, you're going to put your rival on there. They're probably going to be a pretty good team. You're going to face a very good Portland team, and. Obviously, we know Kamloops is, is going to be a good team as they go into the playoffs as the host team for the, the Memorial Cup. But, again, if you want to be the best team, you got to beat the best team. And then Seattle has to just be confident and say it doesn't matter who we're playing. If we just have to go out and win those games. You, you mentioned Tri-City. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have looked at the conference and sort of seen it as a three-team race as Everett was strong early but faded and then made the, the moves they made at the trade deadline and you know, Prince George has had some runs, but have faded at different times too. So, is it your contention? Tri City has been the team that's kind of jumped into that spot. And do you feel what is it about them? You think that that could make them a scary opponent for one of the top three? Well, one, they can put the puck in the back of the net. They've got uh, almost as many goals on the season as both uh, Seattle and Portland. Now, they they do struggle to keep it out at times, but they have 
uh, Suhanik in in net, and uh, you know he can steal a game for you. I mean, he he's somewhat inconsistent, but when he's on his game, he's a tough goaltender to beat. And if you can get goaltending in the playoffs, that that can steal around for you. I mean, they're <clears throat> the Ams are kind of sneaky hot right now too. I mean, eight zero and three in their last ten. They got a like a, I think a nine game win streak at home or something along those lines. Like I can't remember for sure, but they're uh, they're they're kind of you, you know they're not really getting a, a, a lot of a, a lot of uh, you know chatter, but the Ams are pretty good right now. You know, funny thing is that Seattle has only played them once this season. That was back in uh, it was late November. Actually, uh, they fell in that game. Uh, it was over in Kennewick, and Seattle lost, and they might have been the first of their long winning streak on home ice that game, but uh, I think the final score was 5-4 or 4-3. Well, Seattle put up 50 shots on them and outshot them like 50-20, to 20. and it wasn't Suhanik in that it was Avakian because I think Suhanik already had gone away for uh, preparation for World Juniors, so they have six games against Tri-City still to go on their schedule. Uh, three in February and, and three in March. You mentioned that end of season final six for Seattle. Well, that's that's not a you know easy stretch with those six games on the schedule against Tri City as well. Well, and a traditional um, rival of the Thunderbirds is in Everett, and, and maybe Everett's decision, their fate, and then their decision to to sell at the deadline kind of opened the door for Tri City to walk into that spot. Uh, were you at all surprised to see that after you know years of Everett always doing what they can to be in the mix and to compete for one of those top spots? You know, I, I wasn't surprised. You know, they'd never really been a seller in the past. They've always been a buyer. Um, I think they feel comfortable that they're in a you know playoff spot that they'll still get in the postseason and keep that streak alive of never having missed the playoffs. But I think too, maybe they're thinking you know we've always been in the playoffs and we really haven't made a lot of noise we've had a couple of runs to the championship but they've had you know too many years maybe where they've lost out in the first round and they think maybe we've got to do like some of the other teams have done which is you know sell off get a lot of assets and then build up because i don't think there's there's any way they were going to turn down that deal they got for uh zellweger and hofer i mean that was just too rich to, to pass on i mean saying no to that, I mean, when it could set you up for a good three or four year run in a couple of years would would have been surprising so I was not surprised uh, that they made that deal because again, I think they still believe they're in a playoff spot they'll get some playoff games on home, they'll get some revenue off of that they'll keep that streak alive, but you know, you look at Seattle when they were sellers uh, a year after they won their championship, they made a lot of deals with Kelowna got a lot of picks and used all those to build their team up and get right back here these last two years to the top of the league. I I was going to ask you about that because uh, Seattle was in the league final just a a year before uh, winning the championship, just a year before Swift was in that position. And and so it was a different route. Uh, The Thunderbirds didn't buy quite as aggressively as the Broncos did. But what was your take on on the process of building back up? Because it's not necessarily common in the league to be a champion and then you know four or five years later be back in the final and then this year contending again um you know that that says a lot about management's ability to repeat that kind of cycle so what do you think have been some keys to the success of building back up after that run that led to the 2017 championship 
Uh, there was a couple of factors. I think right after Seattle won their championship in 2017, the the, the team was sold to the the Lekolts and the two brothers are very focused on making this a team that competes for championships year in and year out. And then they, you know, had to find a general manager and they, they hired Bill LaForge and he's, I mean, he's had the Midas touch. I think everything he's done has, has turned to gold thus far. I mean, he made some great deals with, with Kelowna to get a bevy of draft picks back. You know, you talk about these deals that have been made this year, you know, the, the Kamloops uh, price paid to get Zellweger and Hofer, but I think uh, back a couple of years and Seattle was able to turn in, you know, turn, you know, a couple of guys who were good players but weren't high NHL draft picks. Um, like Matthew Wedman was a seventh-round NHL draft pick. I think they ended up getting two first-round picks out of him. Uh, they traded a couple of other guys and got two other first-round picks. So they've done well acquiring the assets and then doing a good job of, of using those assets either to draft good talent or to acquire good players with those draft picks. So a couple of things went into it, and you know they've just hit home runs with the ownership and with the uh, the hiring of the general manager. Yeah, we... <clears throat> We talk often on this show about the the cost of of uh, hosting and you know and how much it you know you really have to to, to clear out the cupboard for of assets and 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 certainly you know the Thunderbirds were were beneficial from from Kelowna's you know unfortunate occurrence of of hosting but not hosting still spending the assets and not and not getting the reward of the of, of the tournament you know i i, I got to give you, you credit tom when we talked uh last year to set up the uh portland seattle series and you you know successfully predicted that you know seattle was going to be you know the stronger team in that and a lot of that was cuz we hadn't seen them healthy at 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 that point so we didn't know what their capabilities were and i i wasn't really buying what you were selling and it turns out that uh that i was i was mistaken and uh and obviously they had that that successful you know run last year i mean what were some of the some of the factors that that played into uh to how good that that seattle team was uh, making it all the way to, to the fourth round well getting healthy was obviously the the, the the most significant factor they didn't have ty bauer for much of the second half of the season and well he wasn't a big points guy he was a tremendous leader both on and off the ice uh, you know i i think i talked to to a lot of T-Bird fans and, and tell them that in my time with the T-Birds, he may have been the best captain that this team has had. And they've had some good players as captains, but, you know, they also went through some injuries with uh, Svikoski. He had COVID. You know, they, they traded for him back right after Christmas last year. He didn't play his first game with Seattle for a month because he had to get over uh, his battle with COVID. Henrik Rabinski, uh, he was out with injury. They had a month of January where every player on the team, I think, hit, got hit with COVID, and they had to cycle through that to get healthy again. That was the big key, was was just getting healthy, and I think the goaltending solidified the second half of the season, and Thomas Millich took over and just had a tremendous second half and carried that into the playoffs, and he was the go-to guy throughout the postseason. He was in net for all uh, 25 games, every minute of postseason play, and he was a huge reason why they got through you know, the Portland series and the Kamloops series and had a chance in that series against Edmonton. Well, and it may seem obvious, but 
how much do you think that makes a difference going into the playoffs this year when a huge chunk of the team that's still here will have had the experience of what it takes to get there and that extra hunger of the step they didn't take, making it to the final but not getting to taste the championship glory yet? Well, if it's anything like 2016, it's probably going to be a huge factor because, you know, the one thing I remember about after losing the uh, final to Brandon in 2016, we had a huge portion of that roster coming back the next season, and they would tell you to a man that they did not like losing that series to Brandon. Remember, three of the four uh, games to start that series went overtime, and <laughs> were all won by Brandon, three to two. So it left a sour taste, and, and they were just completely focused on coming back the following year. And, you know, if they didn't win, it would have been a, a, a disappointment. Uh, it would have been a, a, a failure of the season. So they were deadly focused on winning that 2017 championship. So I think you have a similar mindset uh, among those returning players uh, with the T-Birds this year that, again, they felt, I mean, well, they were the underdogs against Edmonton, but they, they felt that they were going to have to win that series, and they were disappointed to come up short in that one, and so they, they've refocused and set their sights on getting back there this year, and I think it's not just the players who believe that, but the management. And I think that's why you see some the moves uh, that have been made by the T-Birds in the acquisition of players here throughout the course of the first half of the season is that they believe in this group, uh, and the general manager says, I'm going to supplement these guys because, you know, this is their year to go for it. I mean, that's why they've made all these trades. I know people think that Seattle's mortgaged the future. That they'll tell you they haven't. They believe they have enough to be competitive over the next couple of years. Maybe not championship competitive, but they don't feel they're going to fall off like Edmonton has fallen off this year. But they knew that this was the year because they're going to miss, you know, those 19 and 20-year-olds on this team. They're not back next year, so they wanted to supplement this group. It's the one thing that's always interesting to me, you know, kind of cross sport is, you know, when the, uh, you know, two teams play for a championship and then, you know, one player moves from team A to, to over to team B. You, you mentioned that, that Edmonton series and, you know, those Oil Kings were, you know, very, very good team last year. And, you know, but now you have Luke Prokop who's, you know, switched he's wearing the white hat now instead of the black hat, you know, as far as uh, Thunderbirds fans are concerned. What's what's it been like, you know, having uh, having Prokop on this team and, and, and what, what, what uh, you know, what, what it, how much has he boosted the, the, the back end for the Thunderbirds? Well, he's, I mean, that's the one thing they needed, I think. Uh, they knew that going into the season. You know, they had a Korchinski who was an offensive-minded defenseman. Even guys like uh, Hansel, they're more on the offensive side in their defensive play. Uh, Hansel probably more defensive than uh, Korchinski is, but they needed that shutdown E-man, and they got Prokop, and they added Nolan Allen, who's in that same mold. He'll probably add a little more offense than Prokop will, but Seattle's gone the entire season without anybody wearing the C as captain. I mean, initially they thought Bauer might come back, so they were kind of holding off, giving the C to somebody. Uh, now they know he's not coming back, but they haven't given the seat to anybody. But if you talk to the players, they'll tell you that Luke Prokop is kind of like the de facto captain of that team of this leadership. Is, are there times it feels a little like deja vu? I mean, to have that run of the final in 2016, championship in 2017, final in 2022, and a lot of people predicting Seattle being in that position again this year. I mean, it, 
do you feel the similarities between the two groups and the, the two runs? Um, there, there are some similarities, but this team is much deeper after all the moves have been have been made than that 2017. 2017, they relied on like two lines and the, their top D pairing, and they got by with their goaltending situation with the young uh, goaltender Stankowski, but. This team is much, much deeper, and you know we mentioned that they've got one player from last year's championship team, Edmonton, kind of help them to to move towards another championship run, possibly. Knock on wood, probably not going to happen, but they they do have the right to Dylan Gunther if Arizona decides to to send him back. We'll find out shortly. I mean, I think it's a ninety nine point nine percent chance he's not coming back, but but who knows? But I mean. They want to give this team every opportunity, so they went out and got players. Back in 2017, they didn't make any moves. I think Tyler Adams from Swift Current was the only guy that they really added, and he was added to, to provide you know third and fourth line depth. Everybody else they had in place already. You know, we talked a little bit about you know Millich earlier, and and you know I was thinking about. You're talking about that 2017 run and Carl Sankowski, and that was a really, you know, fun storyline for a guy that, you know, had played seven regular season games in his in his life, and you know, put up you know 16 wins in the in the playoffs. That was you know, but you couldn't have a bigger contrast than a guy who, you know, there's there's you know 60 major junior teams, and only one of them has the gold medal goaltender, and and that's the Seattle Thunderbirds. I mean, what what's it what's it been like? you know watching you know Millich develop and and for for a guy that's you know that good and those kind of accolades I I don't think he's really that much of a household name around the league either which I know is kind of a contradiction but I mean what's your what's your kind of broad brush on 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 what it's like what Millich has meant to this team yeah, he's he's a pretty quiet guy he's not a loud guy but he, he does play I think with a bit of a chip on his shoulder you know he's not going to uh, overtly come out and say that he feels like he was snubbed by the NHL draft for two consecutive years and certainly hoping that he gets another, you know, opportunity to hear his name called this summer. But he, he's a guy who, who plays with that chip on his shoulder and, you know, he's, he's going to go out and prove you wrong. And, you know, I think he showed that in the playoffs last year. Every round of the postseason last year, the goalie he was facing was either NHL drafted or NHL signed, and, and that was incentive for him to go out there and you know prove that he was as good as the guy at the other end. And, and he still has that chip on his shoulder, and he's also got someone pushing it in uh, in Scott Radslap, who is you know a gold medalist for Team Canada at the Holinka Gretzky tournament this summer, and he's actually rated higher than Millich's by Central Scouting for uh, the draft. Uh, I was kind of shocked to see Radslap was ranked sixth among North American skaters. That Millich only came in at 25th. Now, part of that is because it's his third year of draft eligibility, but he was coming off the you know the gold medal with Team Canada when those rankings came out. So, you know, you just end up putting another chip on his shoulder when he sees that, saying, okay, I'm going to go out and prove people wrong again. Now, you, meant, you mentioned when Seattle won uh, in 2017, they didn't make a lot of big changes. And this year they had a lot of players back from that team that, that went on the run they went on, but have made some significant additions. Are there any concerns or have you seen, you know, any issues with the way that could interrupt chemistry or disrupt 
you know, what the team has been doing already when you add some guys in the middle of the year, some big name players who, you know, want to play significant roles. And we still even haven't seen Doc, who won't get to play until late in the year. Is, is there anything to the potential of, you know, messing with a winning formula? Well, I don't think they would make the moves if they had that concern, but really they haven't seen uh, Lambert either because uh, of visa issues. Uh, hopefully he's uh, with the team as they go into play this week. I've heard rumors he could be here for the game against Swift Current on Tuesday night. If not, he'll be certainly here by the weekend. But he played two games on their trip through the Eastern Division. He was able to get into a game in Prince Albert and Saskatoon, and he had a goal and an assist in those two games. So, hey, he's a point-of-game player. Uh, but he fit right in on the on the top line. Uh, that first game that he played against Prince Albert, he was the best player on the ice. So I don't think they have that concern. Uh, they the team welcomed him. Um, Kevin Korczynski actually played with him uh, in peewee hockey in Saskatoon. They won a, a city championship together, so he has some familiarity with one of his teammates. Uh, again, they won't see Doc probably till March, late February, potentially. And they still have Jordan Gustafson out on the sideline with an injury, so they've got you know basically a, a whole line of players who would you know be a top line for most teams in the Western Hockey League sitting on the sideline. So they they they'd love to have them come in and and see if they affect the chemistry because right now they are playing a little short. They don't have the depth that they 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 had because when they acquired Doc from Cologne at the trade deadline, they had to trade a couple of players away who were part of their depth. So. They're kind of missing some of that right now, which is why they've gone six and four in their last ten games. So we'll see if it affects the chemistry. I don't think it will when they get those guys in the lineup. But I think you know, again, they made those moves to make the team better, and the players around them see those moves as saying our management believes in us. They want us to go win a championship, so they they made moves to help us out. So I think that's how they view it. You know, I I had seen that. You know there was there was visa issues with, with Brad Lambert. I didn't. I don't think I realized that he played a couple of games on the on the Eastern Swing. I just out of curiosity, like where is he then? Well, he's up in Canada actually because he was playing for Manitoba, uh, the AHL affiliate with Winnipeg. So he's playing on a Canadian work visa. I don't. I mean, I don't know the inner machinations of the U.S. State Department. <laughs> But remember, too, he's also, he's not a, he, I mean, he's a dual citizenship, but I think he's playing under a Finnish passport. So I'm not sure how that affects his status to get the U.S. passport, what extra is required as far as paperwork to get him to down in the States to now be a part of a U.S.-based team to play with the, the Thunderbirds. But it, it's, it's getting worked out. It's just probably taking longer than most people had hoped it would be. Now, with those additions, of course, especially in a year where there's a Memorial Cup in Western uh, the Western Hockey League, the, the costs were very high. And, and you said that the, the franchise doesn't seem concerned about the, the effect it'll have long-term, but most teams that have made that, those kinds of big moves have certainly seen a dip in, in their level of success for a few years and, and the need to kind of restock the covers. Uh, What's your feel on on where Seattle will be in that position with the mindset of ownership to compete every year? Uh, are they going to have to make some sell-off moves to, to make up for some of the things that they they traded to make this happen? Can they sustain being a, a contender while doing that? What's your feel of what the future could look like after those moves? 
A lot of the, the draft picks they used to improve the roster here, well, they did have to use some of their own, came in trades, primarily from uh, Kelowna, but other deals they made, like with Regina, they were able to get a, a first, a second, a third for Sam Oremba. Uh, and so they used a lot of those picks they got from other teams to make some of these moves. But they did have to dip into their own stockpile. But they'd also had deep drafts because they had had extra picks from some of those early trades where they had a first and two seconds in 2021. They had a first and two seconds in 2022. They've signed those six players. They're in the system. Three of them are playing consistently with the team this season, Tija Ginlaw, um, Bryce Pickford, and Hyde Davidson, two second-round pick defensemen who I would be surprised if they're not invited to the top prospects game next year, those three players. Uh, they like the three picks they had in 2022. Um, Braden Coots, they actually mo moved up in the draft from 16th overall to 10th to select him, and he made his debut the other night, and uh, he looked really good. Now it helps he's playing with a lot of talent around him. Uh, another 2021 pick who was a second-round selection is Simon Loveson, and he's had a cup of coffee with the T-Birds a couple times, already got a, a few points. So they, they feel that they have filled some of the holes for the next year or two, but general manager Bill LaForge has not been shy about making deals, whether it's trading players off, like he did to acquire picks from Kelowna, or um, trading picks to get players to build this team up. So if it comes to it, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point he has to trade assets to restock the cupboards. I, I don't think he's going to be shy about that. Well, you know, when there's holes in, in, that need filled here over the next next year, two years out of this team, you know, Grayson Sachin is, is certainly going to be either a big part of the solution, you know, if, if he's put uh, fill in the net like, like he, we probably expect him to over the next couple of years, or if they he, uh, have to have to, you know, use use him as a bargain chip to, to recoup assets. But, you know, I've I've certainly liked what I've seen out of Sachin, and and uh, and again, I'm concerned what I'm going to see out of him next year and the year after. Well, and the wild card in that is that Seattle also drafted his younger brother, uh, Luke, two years younger uh, in the U.S. prospects draft uh, year. Uh, was it two years ago now? And they still own his rights. Haven't signed him yet, but I, I don't know. <laughs> his brother's playing here. He may want to come play with his brother. Uh, the other wild card in that is that they do have the rights to Macklin Celebrini, who is considered the first overall pick for the 2024 NHL draft. Now, he's committed verbally to play NC2A hockey. Uh, he's playing in the USHL with the Chicago Steel right now, but if he's going to be the number one overall pick in 2024, I'm not sure he's ever going to see college hockey, but you know that's an asset that Seattle could... If they don't sign him, they could certainly trade his rights to a contender down the road. So, you know, that's another kind of option. They have an uh, asset in their their back pocket. Yeah, it, does, it doesn't make a whole pile of sense to go play NCAA uh, or to play USHL if you're going to go first overall or potentially could and then go right to the NHL. So that seems to open the door at least a little bit. Yeah, I say it, it's it's just something in their back pocket. It may never come to fruition, but it's just another card that they hold if it comes to that point. And 
I think the reason he verbally committed to college is because he has an older brother playing at the university he verbally committed to. Yeah, that's interesting. Or uh, or maybe go over and you know play in uh, Zurich for for a year, like uh, like Austin Matthews when he didn't want to commit to the Silver Tips. That's always an option, but uh, we've only seen it happen once. <laughs> so you mentioned Aginla as well. I mean, a very talented young guy with the the bloodline he's got, and 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 we see a couple of young guys that have had prominent roles. What does it say about the coaching staff's sort of willingness on a team that's got stacked with veteran talent? Uh, you know, if you earn the role, then you get the role. And young guys are still able to do that when surrounded by these really good veterans. You know, when you talk to the coaches or you talk to the general manager, you know, when it comes to constructing the roster, and when it comes to 16-year-old players, they said, we're not going to keep them if they're not going to be able to play every night. You know, it's, it doesn't make any sense for the development to to scratch them, you know, three of every four games. So they they earn their roster spots in training camp, and they earn their ice time uh, every day. And we've seen that with, again, the three picks out of the, out of the top of the 2021 draft for Seattle, Ginla, um, Hyde Davidson, Bryce Pickford, uh, have, have played regular. Um, they're played almost every night. Now, with the addition of uh, Prokop and and Allen come and Allen coming back after World Juniors. You know those two defensemen are kind of now sharing uh, that sixth spot in the top seven uh, D. So one is getting scratched and a, a healthy scratch each night. So they're kind of rotating in and out. But they have no um, no hesitation to put them in the lineup because again they they would they always say you wouldn't be here if you didn't deserve to be here. Yeah, that's always a, a a tricky balance, you know, especially a team that you know is has all these all these stars like the Thunderbirds have to try to s still you know develop for the for the future and 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 distribute ice time like that can always be. I mean, you know, it, every team has to struggle with that at some point at some point at this level, but you know, it sounds like uh, Matt Odette's doing a good job of that. Well, you, you talked about Souchin, and he's like second right now in the, the league in rookie scoring. But Pickford's uh, among the you know leaders uh, uh, when it comes to rookie scores in the in the WHL as a defenseman, as a true 16 year old, and I think he has the best plus minus of any rookie in the league right now. So again, he's he's shown that he belongs and that he's earning that ice time he's getting every night out there. And when Allen and was away at World Juniors when Prokop was out injured for 11 games. Uh, he was right there in the top four, and uh, Seattle didn't miss a beat. You do have a, a different staff. Um, Odette was a part of the staff back when the team was won, but then took over as the head coach afterwards. Uh, how do you compare the way that the team is run to you know what we saw under Steve Konowalczyk when the, the team had the success they had under him? I think uh, uh, Matt Odette runs it in a very similar fashion. Obviously, working under Cono uh, for four years, you're going to learn uh, some of the good habits from him, but there are going to be some subtle differences. Uh, and the one thing with the, with the Odette is that he's had his staff turn over completely from his uh, first year as head coach here. He's got two new assistants over the last two years that have come in, and they haven't missed a beat in the way they operate the team. So I think there's a lot of 
you know, carryover from the the Konowalczyk years because Odette was part of that system for four years. But he's going to put his own touches on the team. I think he he's probably more let's say emotional. He he uses some things as motivation that uh, you know maybe Kano didn't to, to get the players going kind of that vibe so a lot of similarities I think between the staffs and it, it starts with the the one you know carryover factor the one consistent factor has been that Matt Odette was there as an assistant for four years and now he's been a, a head coach I believe now for what now six uh, his sixth season with the Tebers behind the bench so you know that ten-year consistency with him on the staff is one of the reasons why the team is having that success um, that's looking way ahead, and there'd be so many things that would have to happen. But how much fun would it be to see him face his old head coach in, in a league final with the two teams that with Red Deer being a, another team that's among the contenders? That could make for a great storyline. Well, we could get a preview of that because on the 10th of February, uh, the Red Deer Rebels make their one and only appearance at the Excesso Shower Center this season. It's uh, Connor Walchuk's uh, first game back as a head coach in the league. I mean, he had left Seattle to be an assistant in the NHL with Anaheim, and then he was a, a scout with uh, the New York Rangers for a couple of years and, and took the job with the Red Deer a couple of years ago. And Obviously, Seattle and Red Deer haven't played since before the, uh, the pandemic, so this is the first time they'll face each other, and it's going to be at the Excesso Shore Center where Kano, of course, was the coach of the team when they won their their championship back in 2017. He'll be he'll be well received. The fans are going to give him a terrific ovation. But then once uh, the puck drops, he's the enemy. Yeah, that's uh, like we talked we touched on earlier. I mean, it, it's you know I I really think it's the most hostile environment in the league for uh, for the road team to come in there and, and contend with, and and I'm sure that. Uh, if anybody is, is f- familiar with that situation, it's going to be Steve Gunnawalchuk. Yeah, he helped cultivate part of that, I think. <laughs> so, I mean, we how what, where, where do you think the, the the ceiling is for this team, Tom? I mean, obviously they got to con- we talked about they got to contend with Portland, they got to contend with Cam Loops. You're likely got to play one or both of them in, in in the playoffs, depending on how things go. I mean. I know they're uh, they're obviously pretty pretty uh, comfortable with with where they're at and pretty optimistic. You know, we've seen that at the at the at the deadline. But you know, I mean, what do you what, how do you think uh, what do you think the ceilings at for these guys? Well, I mean, I think, and the coaches will tell you they they want to get this team together because you know, again we haven't had Lambert or Doc uh, play or play enough with the team. Um, now Gustafson is out, so you've got three key components who are on the sideline or who have been sidelined recently, and so they haven't seen their full team together. Um, so they want to—they're anxious to see what they can do when they have all those components. They believe when they have all those that they are a contender, not just for the league title. Again, I think one of the reasons why they made the trade they did, as opposed to what they did back in 2017, where they didn't make a lot of trades. Their their focus this time is not just winning the Western Hockey League championship. They saw what it took to, to win a Memorial Cup back in 2017 with what the OHL team and the QHL, QMA, uh, J, QMJHL teams did, where they stacked their rosters with 
with the NHL, you know, drafted players through trade. So they saw that that was the path that you had to go. And it's not a guarantee because, you know, Portland and Kamloops, and I mentioned even Tri-City are formidable opponents, but they believe that they have the team, once they get them together, that could go all the way to Kamloops and win a Memorial Cup. First focus right now is getting to the playoffs, second, winning the division, winning the conference. You know, every team's got those check marks that they make as they go through the season of what they want to accomplish and just take it one step at a time. But again, the the end result, the, the end goal is, is to be the last team standing. And we talked a bit about the the matchup with, you know, Portland and with Kamloops. Those are both teams that Seattle beat in the playoffs last year on the way to making uh, their run to the league championship against Edmonton. How much has that helped build the rivalries that already exist there? And, you know, does it bring some extra emotion to those games as the possibility of the playoff rematches uh, comes towards everybody in the spring? You know, I don't think it affects Seattle-Portland because they have played what, 12 times a season for how many years now? Uh, that rivalry already exists, whether you know one team's at the top or one is at the bottom of the standings, whether they're both equal in the standings, where it's the playoffs, whether it's regular season. Those are always going to be intense battles just because of the geography of where they're located, the, you know, the long history between the two teams. I think that playoff series against Kamloops, so I think Kamloops, I think they felt, you know, that was theirs to take, and they got it taken away from them. Now, Seattle beat Kamloops back in, I think it was November in overtime up in their building, but both teams have changed since. They've got three more games during the regular season. As Chad mentioned, two of those coming late in March, right at the end of the regular season. So I think there's going to be some intensity in, in those three games between Seattle and Kamloops based on last year's Western Conference uh, Championship Series. You know, it's 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 you know awful early to be talking about playoff matchups, but you know we do. I mean, it's we that's kind of kind of how these shows work. But you know, I I really can't think of a season that I started to uh, scoreboard watch, and you know earlier than than this. I mean, it was you know American Thanksgiving, and I'm like you know we I, I have to look every day to see what Seattle's doing. You know, I, I, I update my girlfriend, oh, yeah, Seattle scored. Oh, now it's tied. You know, as far as, you know, keeping keeping watch, like, you know, she she's in the in the watching the Thunderbirds right now as much as watching the Winter Oxes to see to see what, what their what their moves are. I mean it's it's kinda I mean it's 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 pretty uh it's pretty exciting really, but yeah, I've I've never I've never started scoreboard watching, you know, this early and, and I've been doing it for, you know, months now. I mean, what's what's uh is that is that kind of where you're at, Tom? You know, I really don't start scoreboard watching until you start to get into a situation where you know what magic number is for either earning a playoff spot, clinching home ice, or you know winning the advantage over an opponent that you could potentially meet in the second or third round of of the playoffs. Uh, and again, until Seattle gets that whole team together and see what they can do. I don't think they're concerned about anybody but themselves. I think when, when I first uh, came into the league, 
in 2010, 2011. Um, Seattle was in the middle of a, a difficult run of, of, you know, some seasons where they struggled before they turned it around leading up to the, the championship they had. And, and it just kind of felt like the, the perennial, um, powers in the, in the U.S. division were, were different teams at that time. Um, do you feel like the, the, the image, the reputation, uh, you know, of the Thunderbirds from a hockey standpoint has really grown, you know, since that run in 2016, then 2017, and, and then what they've become again here to the point where now the Thunderbirds can stand with some of those perennial contenders, those, um, you know, those spotlight franchises in, in the league that have an easier time recruiting because of the history they've had? Well, I think you know any team will say they want to be a con- you know contender year in and year out. There are few teams that that do it, but that is certainly the the focus of the organization now with the the new ownership, the new management they put in place. If they believe they can do that, but you know sometimes you go through dark days, and you don't want to go through those again. I mean, Chad can certainly you know recall you know Portland's and their their dark time there in the two thousands before. They turned it around and become perennial contenders, and I think Seattle went through a similar stretch there. And I think that scares you into being a contender of the year more than anything. It's just you don't want to go back to those kind of seasons again where you're winning maybe fourteen or fifteen games. Yeah. yeah have you, it, have it, you seen anything about the culture though in Seattle? You know the the way the teams run. Is there just some a different feel about them? Um, you know since that run and the new ownership and the changes that have happened over the last decade that that has kind of changed what this team can be and and their status in some way? Well, I think it even goes back prior to the the new ownership, even under the old ownership with with Russ Farwell. After those four non-playoff years, I think, you know, he said, you know, this is not the way I want this team to be, and he made changes and you know they were fortunate to to win a lottery and get Matt Barzell in in the in the draft, uh, but he also built around him with some other talent. He didn't rely on one player, and I think that he made some moves to strengthen the scouting staff. And the scouting's been so much better since it was in the late two thousands with the moves that he's made. And then LaForge has you know come in and brought his stamp on on the scouting team, and you know. Cal Filson leading that group, and they've done so well in drafting players. You know, you look at a guy like Rain Schaefer, who they got in the eighth round, a player like Nico Majadovic, who was a sixth-round pick, and they believe they can find those players in, you know, the fifth and sixth and seventh rounds of the WHL Prospects draft. And if you go back to LaForge's time in Everett, where he was their head scout, they were consistently, Everett as an organization, was trading away their first-round pick to to bring in a a top-end player because they believed in their scouting enough that they would still find quality players like a Carter Hart in the seventh round and you know some of these other mid-round picks that they found that they were consistently then with those middle-round picks winning Western Hockey League U.S. Division you know banners. And he's brought that mindset from Everett to Seattle now, and, and that's their philosophy, that they can go and scour you know, Western Canada and the U.S. and find those players who they can develop and be a consistent contender, whether you're a first-round pick, 
a sixth-round pick or an eighth-round pick or, you know, a guy like Jared Davidson was never drafted that you bring in and uh, you develop him into an NHL-drafted player. Yeah, or, you know, a, a, a Dustin Wolf or a Austin Lotz or a, or a Carl Stankowski has a has a championship ring. You know, you can – if you can – you can yeah, it's a it's – a, it's a huge part of our league. You, know, you draft and then you develop and then – well, you recruit and then you develop. It's – you know, it's 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 a nature versus nurture argument as far as you know. Was that player always going to be that that guy, or or is it you know the thing that this coaching staff did to 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 get them to to you know to you know realize their potential? Yeah, and I think if you look at the teams that contend year in and year out, year out, uh, it's not just the coaching staff; it's the scouting, and then it's the development staff because you know good organizations. You know, I, I don't know who is it is with Portland. I don't know who it is with Sportster forever. But I know Steve Gertson, a, a former Tiber player uh, who, who played some in the NHL, is uh, the director of development, and he comes and works with the, the draft picks and the players over the course of the season. It's not just the, the coaches who work with these players. You have to have, you know, a good goaltending coach and a good development staff that come in and work with these players and the, the teams that you know, have those guys in place are going to do it the best and they're going to be able to contend year in and year out because they have the, the staff not just, you know, behind the bench but in the organization. And consistency is another factor, right? You talked about how, you know, Connor Wolchuk led to Odell. Uh, it wasn't a big turnover. It was his assistant taking over his head coach and then, you know, Farwell's still around um, uh, and I don't know what his say is, or or at at the moment, you know how much he uh, oversees the operation. But but him still being around must must make a difference there too, right? In terms of the organization never went through a total upheaval. Yeah, I don't know what his role is either. <laughs> no, just uh, just kidding. No, he's around every day, and even on our our, our trip out east, he was he was with the team, so he has. Not the general manager anymore. All those moves, that, all those deals that were made, that were made by Bill LaFord. Uh, if there's ever going to be a year to make a run to the and, and win the championship and get to the Memorial Cup, I'm sure for fans of the Thunderbirds, this would be a great year for it. It being hosted in Kamloops, it's, it's not uh, out of the realm of possibility to get a bunch of them on the road up to that building to be a part of that event. So, so it, it, you know, I mean, there's, there's a long road to get there, but it would be a a great year for it to happen, I'm sure, for the fans there. Well, Tom, uh, we appreciate your time. Always good to talk to Chad and, and Sean. It's good to hear from you. It's been a few years, but um, maybe next year when the Seahawks beat the Niners, we'll talk again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do that. <laughs>